This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, we are starting uh, today. We're talking about Chaye Sarah, Sweet Parsha Chaye Sarah, which is very fascinating. Why? Because the first words are uh, interesting. Discussing the death of someone, it calls it Chaye Sarah, the lives of Sarah in the plural, lives of Sarah. Whenever we talk about life in Hebrew, we always mention Chayim. Chayim is always in the plural. Why is the lives? When we talk about life, why do we say lives in the plural? And the answer is because we, always, we have to remember all the time that we have two lives. Each one of us has two lives in this world and the next world. We're living on two different dimensions, the physical plane and the spiritual plane. We're living, we have two different kinds of lives at the same time. We're living on the physical plane and the spiritual plane. And that's why we refer, the parish is referred to as Chaye Sarah. The lives of Sarah. Yes, we talked about her life. Her physical life was, the Torah tells us, 127 years. But her spiritual life started, well, started at her death. Her spiritual life started at death. We have to talk about that. So Sarah, Emmanuel, mother Sarah, lived in the truest sense. It's interesting because it's the only parasha named after a woman. The, parasha, the only parasha on the Torah named after a woman is Chaye Sarah. She must have been someone really special. We can't even imagine how special she was. She was our mother, um, the mother that we're all coming from. And she was the main mother of our people. And she was a truly important and a righteous individual. And that's what the Torah is stressing. Chaye Sarah, her life was perfect. Her life was 127 years. Rashi says every single day counted. Every single day was used for a purpose, for a spiritual purpose, for a good purpose, for a moral purpose. And there were no stains on her. There was nothing to be said bad about Sarah. So Sarah was a special individual. And now we have to, a very interesting topic, and that is Abraham Avinu is buying a plot for Sarah. You know, the first time the Torah mentions the importance of buying a plot is by Sarah. The fact that uh, Abraham eulogizes her, uh, all the Jewish rituals are based on this week's parasha, on this week, uh, this idea of the importance of a plot, the importance of eulogies, the importance of mourning it's in this week's parasha. So it's a very fascinating, but the Torah calls it the life of Sarah. So life is on two dimensions. We talked about the physical life and the spiritual life. And uh, she was a righteous woman. But it's interesting that first Abraham says, it says, First, he eulogizes her and then he cries for her, which is interesting. Why did he cry for her? Normally, a person loses his wife, should cry, start crying straight away. No. First, he eulogizes and then he really appreciates what he lost. When he eulogizes her and he remembers her good qualities, that's when he cried. However, there's interesting because in the, in the Pasuk it says, when he cries, it's with a small cup. Rashi says he didn't cry much. Why? Because she had fulfilled her purpose in life. You don't cry about a person who fulfilled their purpose in life. Sarah fulfilled her purpose in life. She lived a long life. She fulfilled her purpose. There's not much to cry about. Obviously, we cry for, we're crying for ourselves. He was crying for himself. He wasn't crying for her. She had fulfilled her mission. She had done a tikkun. And she was worthy of the next world. And there's not much to cry about her. So he cried a small cry. He was crying for himself. He was crying. Sometimes we cry for ourselves. We don't cry for the person. So if a child dies, it is we cry for the child as well. The child fulfilled their purpose. We don't know what their mission was. They died early, but a person lived a long life and a righteous life. There's not much to cry about. Baruch Hashem. So Sarah, she lived a long and successful life. And in a sense, it's interesting. 
because the history of our nation, this week's parasha, is begins with the story of the family of Abraham Avinu. It starts, the Torah starts in a very broad perspective, a universal idea of creation of man. It goes down slowly to Noah, one family, and then it broadens out to the Tower of Babel and other things, and then it comes back to one family. Hashem obviously wanted universal man to serve him, but it didn't work. And Hashem had to choose certain families, and his family chosen was Noah. Noah and his family sort of failed in their mission, and Abraham Avinu and his family was chosen. And that was the, the idea of chosenness. Why was Abraham Avinu and his family chosen? And the answer is because Abraham chose God. If you choose God, God chooses you. We have to start the initiation process. It's interesting. We trigger uh, energies. The Kabbalah always talks about the idea that man triggers energies. Mankind triggers energies. When we pray, we trigger energies. Hashem wants to give, but he's waiting for the trigger. He's waiting for us to reach out to him. And Abraham Avinu was one of the first people to reach out to God, reach upwards to God. And so we have the history of our nation, the story of our family, the family of Abraham Avinu. And naturally enough, we have the life cycle. Uh, death and marriage. This week's parasha, death and marriage and eventually children. This week's parasha is an important parasha. It's a life cycle parasha. And uh, one of the tragic elements of life is usually we don't appreciate someone until they're gone. And that's something which we have to appreciate more. The elderly people in our lives appreciate them now. Our parents and grandparents, while we have them, we have to appreciate them in our lives. And uh, also the importance the Shlomo Menuch says the day of death is more important than the day of birth. Why? Because without the day of birth, uh, sorry, without the day of death, a person would not strive in their lives. A person would just sit back, say, got plenty of time. So the day of death is important. That's why the parasha refers to the death of Sarah. It's telling us, don't wait till the end. Do something now. And that's, uh, that's something which we have to all be alerted to. We have a lot. We have a big mission to do. And another, another idea of this week's parasha is this idea that Jewish identity. So a person says, you know, I want to die as a Jew. Well, before you can die as a Jew, you've got to live as a Jew. So a person's got to, he's got to live as a Jew. He wants to live as a Jew. He's got to marry a, uh, as a Jew. And he's got to have children as a Jew. And then a person can say, you know, I want to die as a Jew. Many people want to die as a Jew, but they want to live as a Jew. So it's very important. You can't die as a Jew until you live as a Jew. A person's got to live as a Jew, which is the hard part. The hard part is living as a Jew. The easy part is dying as a Jew. Just say Shema, say do Teshuvah, but Living is the hard part. So the question we have is, why is such a lot of ink spilled? Why does the Torah spend so much time dealing with this purchase of a grave for Sarah? We said it's one of the few places in the Torah where it goes into great detail. They purchased the grave. Um, I'm purchased the grave. There's 20 verses on the burial of Sarah. 20 verses. And until this point, no death has evoked so much concern. Noah lives and he dies, and we have no eulogy. We have no, we don't know where he's buried. We have no idea what's going on. And the Torah of Yah makes an exception for Sarah. Sarah made her mother Sarah, and the clue can be found in the verse that Abraham Avinu expresses himself as to the Benechet, the inhabitants of Canaan at that time in Hebron, and he says one line, amazing line: "Ger v'toshav anochi imachem." I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. I'm a stranger and a sojourner. What does that mean, a stranger and a sojourner? You know, the Americans, in the American system, there's a term, a resident alien. You know, I was a, you know, I was a resident alien at one time. What's a resident alien? A person with a green card. A green card, it says, on a green card, it says, 
you're a resident alien. It's a contradiction in terms. You're a resident, but you don't really belong here. You have a green card, but you're not an American citizen yet. So that's exactly the term used in the parasha. Abraham Peter uses this term, ger toshav. I'm a resident and an alien. I'm a, a, a resident, a toshav. I'm also a ger. I'm a resident alien. What does that mean? Why does Abraham Vinu describe himself in such an ambivalent turn? I'm a resident and an alien. On the one hand, it's encapsulates, you know, Abraham Avinu is in an exile. He's not in his country yet, doesn't belong to him yet. He's an exile. He's an alien. On the other hand, he's living in Israel. So he's resident, but he's an alien, doesn't belong to him yet. But we are uh, discussing why does Abraham Avinu dis- talk about himself as a resident alien? Why is he a resident Make your mind up. Are you a resident or an alien? So interesting. So we said it really encapsulates this idea of a Jew in a diaspora. A Jew in a diaspora, you're a resident, you're alien, and then you know you feel like you're a resident, and then anti-Semitism raises its head. Everywhere we've lived in the world, there's always been a bit of anti-Semitism to remind the Jew this idea that, yeah, you're a resident, but you're an alien. We don't, you're not really part of this country. Now, what's interesting is this this applies not just to the country, it also applies to the world. We live in this world, we're residents in this world, but we have to remember, we don't belong in this world. We, our spiritual side of us is alien over here. We have two parts to us. The physical part may belong to this world, but the spiritual part does not belong to this world. And that's something that Avraham Avinu is reminding us. How do we know this? In Parsha Behar, in the laws of Shemitah, Hashem says to the Jewish people, He said, the land will not be sold forever. For the land is mine, Hashem says. You are strangers and settlers with me, Hashem says. This land is mine. Even Israel, when we live in Israel, the land is not ours. It belongs to God, Hashem says. It belongs to me. And we are strangers in this land. What does that mean? That however long a person lives, it's never long enough. We are strangers in this world. We have to remember that. It's very hard to remember. A person puts down roots. They build nice houses. They have the beautiful rooms and bedrooms and living rooms, this and that, and then we can't take it with us. So it's a tragic idea, this idea, this ambivalence to the world. The Jews' ambivalence, number one, is to the diaspora. We're residents and we're aliens. Number two is even in Israel. We are residents and we're aliens in this, in this material, physical existence. We have to remember that. We are living in this physical existence, and we are residents and aliens in a physical existence. And this is the universal human condition people forget about it. It doesn't just apply to Jews, it applies to everyone. It's a universal human condition. And from a divine perspective, all people are resident strangers in a world of flux and mortality. Imagine these guys, Putin and the others, press the button, we're finished, we're all gone. It's just like, it's uh, really, it should really, uh, last few months, uh, the events have really you know, opened a person's eyes. You know. Futile existence, it could be just all lost in one few seconds. So, we're residents, yeah, it looks good uh, while we have it. And then we're aliens, it's gone forever, right? So, so that's interesting. That's what Abraham, maybe that's what he's saying. He's telling them, listen, I'm here and I'm there. I'm, I'm, I belong in two worlds. I'm a resident in this world, but I'm also an alien in this world. I really have another side to me, the spiritual side. And I need a burial place for my wife, an uncontested property. Now, it's very fascinating because the three places the Torah tells us that we bought, our forefathers bought outright, are the most contested places today in Israel. Machpelah, Hebron. If you go to Hebron, boy, you're surrounded by troops. You need troops, why? Because otherwise it's not going to be safe. I went to Hebron, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Went to see our forefathers, Abraham, Yaakov, Baruch Hashem. And it was quite peaceful at that time, but you're surrounded by troops. Everybody built his troops. 
machine guns, uh, we're not safe. It's not a safe place, even though we bought it with our own money. Abraham Peter bought it with his own money. Shechem Nablus, which it says Yahweh Peter bought with his own money, the burial place of Yosef, one of the most unsafe places in Israel today. And the Temple Mount bought by King David. These are the places that we bought outright. Our forefathers bought outright. And uh, unfortunately, they're one of the most, uh, these are the, the most contested areas in, in Israel. So interesting. So Avraham Avinu says, this world, the, the Pirkei Avot explains Avraham Avinu. Pirkei Avot, uh, Ethics from the Fathers, in, in chapter 4, verse 20, and 21, it says, this world is like a corridor in front of the world to come. This is just a foyer. This is just a, uh, you know, you just walk into a nice hall and you have these, uh, the lobby outside and you go in there and you fix your tie, and you fix your dress and you look in the mirrors. That's what this world is all about. This world is just a corridor. This world is just the lobby in front of the real entrance. We forget about that. And Avraham is telling us that, that yes, this is a temporary existence. He's telling the Bnei Chet, don't forget, this world is temporary. You can't take it with you. It's a temporary existence. But he's also teaching us that God is, we're all creating the image of God. We're all creating divine image. And we all have a spark of the divine, which is eternity. The spark of the divine. Our souls are eternal. He's looking for a burial place for his wife so that the soul can now start as its existence as a spiritual existence, completely spiritual existence. The rabbis tell us until a person's buried properly, the soul cannot have a free reign yet. The soul does not really leave until the body is in the earth. It's very important to bury someone in the earth. Obviously, there are uh, exceptions where it's impossible to do the Holocaust and other things, but um, Hashem will guarantee that. But normally a person's soul only takes off from the body when the body is buried. And that's why it's not good to delay a burial, a Jewish burial. So a lot of laws of Jewish burial is from this week's parasha. We light the outside candle, symbolize the soul, living of the soul. Why is cremation a major sin this week's parasha? Why Yiskor? Why Kaddish? Why do we gather when the stone is unveiled? All this is the answers are in this week's parasha. And because there's an existence after life, there's an existence after life. You know, today's society, we are all memorized on our birthdays. Judaism says we are all memorized on the day of death because that's really the spiritual birthday. That's when the soul takes off. That's when our spiritual existence starts in the next world is the day of death. So the day of death became the day of birth. And I used to tell people when I used to bury them, I did a lot of funerals, unfortunately, New Jersey, and uh, maybe eight a year, a lot of funerals. And I tell people, I'm not burying people, I, I plant them. We're planting, we're not burying, we're planting. And that's exactly what Abraham Vidu did. He planted his wife because we believe that in the future, the, the dead will arise, the soul lives on, we're not burying, we are planting. It's the beginning of a new world, it's the beginning of a new existence. And even though we know the betterment of this world, Tikkun Olam, it's very, very important. Judaism, and uh, we know that's uh, really part of it. It's part of the end of our prayers. To fix this world under the kingship of God. Nevertheless, there's another dimension as well. So it's interesting, the Rambam, who was a real big rationalist, he talks about, he stresses our improvement of this world. But in the laws of repentance, in Hilchot Teshuvah, he has a whole section about the next world. So yes, we do believe in this world. This world's going to be fixed. We're going to try our best. Tried their best to fix this world, spreading universal morality, ethics, and, and monotheism. 
but we also have to worry about the next world as well. We have to fix our lives in here for, this, for the purpose of going to the next world. And the Ramchal Ramosha Chaim Zato in the first path of just asks, why were we put in this world in the first place? I think it's a very strange answer. He says, Hashem wants us to enjoy this world. Hashem wants us to enjoy this world. And then he says, only spiritual achievements will help us to enjoy. What's physical will eventually disappear and dissolve. Too much of anything physical will make a person sick. Interesting. Only spiritual, eternal uh, pursuits provide ultimate pleasure. And that's a very important idea. This idea that, yes, we have to enjoy ourselves in this world. I should put us here. What kind of enjoyment? Not just physical enjoyment, spiritual enjoyment. Yes, physical enjoyment is part of it for the purpose of spiritual enjoyment, like enjoying a Shabbat with our families, good food, but for the sake of spiritual enjoyment of Shabbat of uh, day of rest with Hashem. And that's a very important idea. So Abraham Avinu establishes a Jewish burial plot that he pays an enormous amount of money in order to teach. There is life of the spirit that defies and transcends death. Maybe that's why it's called Chayesara. That's why her soul lives on. We bury the body, but the soul lives on. And then Abraham Avinu wakes up. Death sometimes is a wake-up call. He wakes up to the fact that his son, Yitzhak, is not married. Dor holech le dor bad. Solomon says, one generation goes in Kohelet, one generation goes and one generation comes. Sarah is gone. We need another generation. Yitzhak is not married. Yitzhak was nearly uh, finished at the Akedah. Now's the time to find a wife for Yitzhak. So suddenly, Abraham Peter wakes up. We've got to get Yitzhak married. So that leads right into, sometimes death is a wake-up call. And uh, many cases I know of people whose uh, parents pass away and they weren't married. Suddenly it's a wake-up call. Yes, you got to get moving on with your life. Time to get married. Time to have kids. So, interesting. Let's move on and talk about this, this concept of marriage. Now, what's very interesting is how this marriage, how this shit took place. Very strange story. Extremely strange story. Abraham Vin is old, but truth is, he's not so old. He may be uh, he's 10 years older than Sarah. He's 137. Uh, that's pretty old by today's standards, but he lived to 175. So he had a lot, four, 40 years on, left to go. So he had another 40 years. And he himself does not go to find a wife for Yitzhak. He sends his servant Eliezer. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be rather reluctant to send my servant, to find a wife for my son, well, hopefully you find, find a wife for himself, but to put, put your son's future, especially those days in your servant's hands, that's uh, pretty unreliable. Okay, so his servant was a good man. Eliezer was his uh, right-hand man. He was also the chief rabbi of his household. That's the rabbi status. He used to teach all the, the potential converts about Judaism. A very reliable individual. Rashi says that Eliezer had some kind of... Uh, he wanted uh, Yitzhak to marry his own daughter. He had uh, other reasons. Uh, had, and that's why Ram Avinu had to make him swear. But still, if you want to swear, make your servant swear, why don't you go yourself? Abraham didn't go himself. Abraham Avinu did not want to leave Israel. And he tells Eliezer, make sure this girl comes back to Israel. I know the value of Israel. I'm not going to step out of Israel, even to find a wife for Yitzhak. Interesting. So what happens? Um, this idea that... Uh, Chance, chance. We have a very important line in this week's parasha that discusses chance. 
And uh, chance, this word for chance, mikre, a mikre. It happened, a mikre happened. And this, this comes in a few places in the Torah. Um, it says by when the Jews went to uh, Paro, when Moshe and Aaron goes to go to Paro, and they say, they say to Paro, they say to Pharaoh, Hashem, the God of the Jews appeared to us, happened to us. He happened upon us without forethought, without planning. Hashem appeared to Moshe in the burning bush. It was a happening. It was something out of the ordinary which just happened. It wasn't planned. It wasn't a planned event. That's a mikre. That's a happen. But we know in God's world, nothing just happens. God wants it to happen. It will happen. But for us, it's like a happening. It just came out of the blue. It's amazing how certain things happen out of the blue. Kohelet, uh, says, Sometimes things happen to a righteous person and things happen to a wicked, wicked person. We don't know. There's no rhyme or reason. Things just seem to happen. Things. Now, we know as Jews, we know we can't take happenings for granted. These happenings are not happenings. We believe in what's called hashkacha. We believe in divine providence. There is providence. But sometimes divine providence happens, just happens. Things happen out of the blue, providence. But if you ask me, how do I meet my wife? Uh, it was happening. It was a providence, divine providence. It just happens so fast when you're not expecting. Things happen so fast. Um, I started a school. How did it happen? I don't know. People just came to my office and talked to me. I don't know. It was happening. Things happen in person's life. A person got to think back of their lives, say, you know, how do these things happen? Certain things happen. There were certain pathways in my life, doors in my life that opened, and I took turnings that were not expected, unexpected turnings. These are happenings that we believe Hashkecha. Hashem plays a big role in happenings. So Hashem happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. Imagine Hashem happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem happened to Shaul HaMelech. He wasn't looking for a kingdom. We talked about it. We talked about it. We saw He wasn't looking for a kingdom. And the prophet found him and says, you're going to be the king. Uh, David HaMelech wasn't looking to be a king. And Shmuel comes and finds him. It happened. All these the happenings. And these happenings, we translate happenings as divine providence. And this week's parasha is another happening. The Rambam holds in the animal kingdom, there is no hashgacha. There is no divine providence. Which animal the lion's going to rip up and eat? We have no idea. There's no providence. Hashem is not concerned. The animal, the lion goes and picks whatever it wants for dinner. Hashem is not involved. However, Ramban in Nachmanides says, even in the animal kingdom, there is divine providence. Amazing. Um, King Solomon refers to everything as Mikriya, as happening. But, you know, we have to understand that it's deeper, a deeper idea. Um, uh, when uh, when Hashem promises Moshe, don't worry, the Jews will have meat. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says, what? How can all these Jews, millions of Jews, how can you provide meat for all these Jews? And Hashem says, you will see, will my, will my words happen truly or not? So Hashem's words happen. They just happen like that. That's Hashem. That's the key word. Happening is a key word for divine providence. Interesting. Eliezer, when he looked for a bride for Yitzhak, says, Hashem, please let it happen in front of me today. Let this girl, I ask for water, will come and she'll give water to me and my camels. The word is very strange. Hakrena, please Hashem, let it happen. Happening. Yeah, Hashem, how do we understand this? 
And the answer is, everything is hashkecha, everything is divine providence. Everything that happens to us, divine providence, well, it depends. Uh, Ramam says an amazing thing. He says, the closer, the more a person thinks about Hashem, the more divine providence there is in a person's life. You have two people on a train, one is thinking about Hashem, and one is not thinking about Hashem. One is thinking about Hashem, it's close to Hashem at that time. Hashem's providence is on that person. Divine providence, imagine Hashem looking after that person. The, close, the closer we are to Hashem, the closer he is to Hashem. The less, the further away we are from Hashem, the further away he is to us. What does that mean? That's translated divine providence. The closer a person is to Hashem, a person thinks about Hashem all the time. Hashem, I need you. Help me, please help me. Help me. Hashem says, I'm here. I'm here for you. A person doesn't think about Hashem. No, I'm not going to help you. I'm far away from you. But you know what? <laughs> there's a beautiful story. It says uh, there's an American uh, tourist. He's a young boy. came to uh, Europe. And they told him in Europe, the Europeans told him, why do you go to Israel? You're Jewish. Why do you go visit Israel? So I said, okay, I'll go to Israel. He goes to Israel and he goes and stays in a secular kibbutz in those days. And they tell him, you know, you're, you're a Jew. You're busy for diaspora. You should definitely go to the Kotel. So he goes to the Kotel and he says to the Kotel, he says, Hashem, if you really exist, let me know where you are. I want to show me, show me you're here. Straight away, he feels a knock on his back. Someone's knocking on his back. And he's, wow, Hashem's knocking on my back. Turns around, sees this small little, little man, uh, Jeff Seidel, who uh, does outreach at the Kotel. And Jeff Seidel says, would you like to come to me for Shabbat for a meal? So, so that was God reaching out to him. So he goes to the Kotel, he says, God, if you're really there, give me a sign. He gets the sign straight away, boom. And that's the answer. The answer is we're looking. That's Abraham Vida is looking for God. God said, I'm here. If a person's looking for God, a person's looking for that, they get divine providence, a very close divine providence. That's the secret. The secret of, of uh, divine providence. You want divine providence? Think about Hashem all the time. Think about Hashem, you get divine providence. Elias is praying to God. Imagine, look at this. One of the most successful prayers in history. This week's parasha. Who prayed the most successful, one of the most successful prayers in history? Elias. You know, the rabbis say there were four prayers of these great people. Three there are prayers which are not proper, good prayers. These prayers are not good prayers. His prayer was not a good prayer. He didn't define what kind of girl he wanted. He said, the first girl that would come and give water to my camels. And I would say, you know what, what a terrible prayer. Why? He wasn't specific. He didn't say if she was married. He didn't say if she was not married. He didn't say if she was lame or, ho- or healthy. He didn't, he didn't say how old she's going to be. It could be an old lady. Who knows what could happen? It was a prayer, it was a terrible prayer, which Hashem, Hashem answered properly. Amazing. So it's one of the prayers, you know, sometimes we pray that. When a person prays, they're going to be very specific what they're grateful. Uh, unless Hashem really is shining his face on them and says, you know, whatever you pray for, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make it the best. I'm going to give you the best answer. That was the answer that Eliezer got, not for his own merit, but the merit of of Abraham Avinu. And he prayed for the, to the God of Abraham. In the merit of Abraham, said, so listen, we do this every day. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Please answer us. Hashem should answer our prayers the best way possible, just like answered Eliezer's terrible prayers, very non-specific prayers, and gave him one of the best answers. So we should always get that. So interesting, Eliezer prays, says, Hashem, let it happen today. Let this thing happen today. And so everything's Hashem, but sometimes you see it coming, and sometimes you don't see it coming. Sometimes you see divine providence coming, Everything's flowing smoothly. Divine providence, the blessings are happening. By the way, that's a bracha. If things in a person's life are going in order, that's a bracha. And this divine providence. 
Sometimes we don't see divine providence coming. Where is it going to come from? David Amir says, Me'ayin Yavu Ezri, where will my help come from? So Rabbi say, Me'ayin is letters Me'ani. Aleph Yudnun is Ayin, and Aleph Nun Yud is Ani. Hashem says, when you say, from where will my come my help? The answer is, my help will come from my, me. Hashem says, your help will come from me. So Me'ayin Yavu Ezri, David Amir says, that's, he can't see where is the hashgacha going to come from. That's a happen. Hashgacha comes. That's a happening. Sometimes you see it coming. That's hashgacha. Sometimes you don't see it coming. That's a happening. But that's also hashgacha. That's hidden hashgacha. That's hidden divine providence. Sometimes it's revealed divine providence. Sometimes it's hidden divine providence. Yeah, amazing. So not, you know, I just love to give an example. That's in the history. Uh, we just you know, went through a couple of years ago with Saddam Hussein, right? I mean, we were all worried, worried about Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein had chemical weapons, he uh, and missiles at Israel. All of a sudden, we didn't have to lift. Israel did not have to lift a finger, and Saddam Hussein was taken care of. It's rather shame. Same thing happened to Iran. So that's hashgacha through happening. We can't see it coming. We don't know who's going to look after it. How Hashem's going to look after this? And we should always pray, Hashem, you look, you take care of it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But you take care of these things for me. I can't, Hashem. You do it for me. That was the classic example of Chizkiyahu, a Melech, Hezekiah, Yushalayim is surrounded by Sancheriv and the Assyrian army, 180,000 troops. Chizkiyahu, uh, a Melech, the king, Hezekiah says, you know, Hashem, I can't. I can't do this. I can't look after this. You have to do this. I'm going to sleep. You look after Sancheriv and his army. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah goes to sleep. And Sancheriv and his army... There's a plague that night, and all his troops die, and he, he's left with his uh, three sons, I think two sons or three sons, and he runs away in the morning, and that was the end of that. So Hashem will take care of it. That is, that is Hashgacha in the most unexpected way, and that's a happening. That's what Elias is praying for. I want to meet this girl, but I want to meet her as a happening. I don't want to meet her through a shidduch. I want to meet her when she's not aware that I am observing her to pick her as a wife. I want to meet her in the most unusual way possible. Elias prayed to Hashem that Rivka should not know that she is being inspected. If she knew, maybe she would act differently and she wouldn't be acting naturally. What her heart midot, what her, her character traits, is she really a truly kind, generous person? That's what he wanted to know. I need a mikre. I need a happening. This is not something which happens all the time. You can't test someone. I need to you put out a big sign. I need to find a wife for my master who's a multi-millionaire. And he had 10 camels full of gold and silver presents and all his, the deeds to Abraham Avinu's belongings. He could have flaunted it and all the girls would come. No, I don't want that. I want a mikre. I want a girl who doesn't know. You send me the girl and I can inspect her without her knowing. That's a mikre. The redemption of Israel. Well, come, we are not expecting it. That's a mikre. We don't know what's going to happen. We can see things happening around us, but when it happens, it's going to be so amazing and so out of the blue. It's going to be a total mikre. That's a happening. That's something we pray for. Mashiach's going to come. We don't know how. We don't know what's going to happen, but boom, it's going to happen. That's going to be a mikre. That's hashgacha. That's an unexpected divine providence. Similarly, by, Luke, by Ruth. Look what it says by Ruth. Ruth, it says, was looking after her mother-in-law, Naomi, which is tremendous chesed. Ruth was the daughter of a king of Moab. She was a princess who gave up everything in her life of materialism to follow this 
this uh, this uh, woman who was bereft of her children, this uh, widower, widow, this old old lady, this widow who had no money, nothing, and she was walking to Israel, and Ruth said, "I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you." And Naomi is uh, penniless, and Ruth goes to the fields to pick up the gleanings for the poor. Ruth goes to the fields, and it just happens. The same, uses the same word. The Torah uses the same word. By and a happening happened. And she went to the field of Boaz. Ruth goes, she doesn't even know. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She doesn't know Boaz is the relative of her ex-husband, of her deceased husband. She doesn't know Boaz is the relative of Naomi. And she goes to the field of Boaz and she meets her next husband. So amazing. Another happens. And certain things happening. Uh, for Ruth, doors open. Hashem opens the doors when a person least expected. That's happening. That's Hashkachaprati, which is unexpected. That's called a happening. The Torah calls it happening. Here is a woman who was not Jewish. She became a convert. She doesn't have a father into her name. She doesn't have a bed into her name. God wants her to be the great grandmother of King David. She has no intention to go to the field of Boaz. Hashem wanted it to happen. That's his Hashkacha. It's happening. Came through for her. It was just an accident, what we call accident. It just happened to go there. Yeah, the, a side issue, this is a side issue. Yeah, Herzl, who had this idea, this, uh, this idea of Zionism going back to Israel because of anti-Semitism, terrible anti-Semitism. He was a witness to the, the famous event uh, in France where they court-martialed this uh, famous uh, Captain Dreyfus and they broke his sword, and they penalized him, even though he's innocent, and they put him in jail in an island somewhere, the French. And he saw the anti-Semitism in, in, in France and all over Europe. Nothing's changed, really. Uh, and Hudson has this idea, let's move all the Jews to Israel. Okay, it wasn't a religious idea, but it was a good idea. Move all the Jews to Israel. He goes to see the Kaiser. This is a true story. It's an amazing story. One of the most amazing stories. He sees the Kaiser in 1902, the Kaiser of Germany in 1902. And he says, would you be the one to sponsor a Jewish state in Palestine? I need a sponsor. I need a very powerful emperor like you, the Kaiser of Germany, to sponsor a Jewish country in Palestine. And the Kaiser listens to this crazy Jew with this crazy plan to move millions of Jews to this forsaken land at that time. Nothing grew, everyone knew Israel was a barren wasteland. If you read Mark Twain's account of his visit to Israel in Harper Magazine, you see that it was a barren wasteland. And so he's listening to this Jew and uh, the Kaiser told him, listen, listen what the Kaiser told Herzl. He said, for there to be a state of Israel only will happen if four empires fall. There's no way for a state of Israel to exist if the four empires are there. Why? Because they're going to stop this thing. Who are the four empires? The German empire, which he was the, who was the leader, the Kaiser. The Austro-Hungarian empire, the Russian empire, and the Ottoman empire. Four empires have to fall for there to be a state of Israel. And he told her, so he says, you know that cannot happen. And 16 years later, four empires fell. This is why this is happening. This is Hashem. This is Hashem's divine providence. When you tell Hashem you can't do this, four empires have to fall. Hashem says, okay, no problem. Just watch and see. Wait and see. 
Uh, and Pharaoh said the same thing to Moses. He says, pen your bed, the juice increases, but we don't want the juice to increase. Hashem says, oh, you don't want the juice to increase? Can your bed, they will increase. Okay, let's see. Whatever seems to be impossible, Hashem says, for me, nothing's impossible. Yeah, let them say it's impossible. But whatever they say is impossible, no one could have predicted that even the British Empire would be dissolved. Even Weizmann said that there could not be a Jewish state unless it was part of the British Empire. Yeah, that, I mean, that's hard to imagine. This is, you know, that who would believe all these massive empires shortly after would all dissolve? So Hashem says, you'll see, will the Jews eat meat in the desert or not? Let's see if it can happen. It's a happening. And the answer is yes, it sure happened. Happening, another happening. And when the Jews came out of Russia, communist Russia fell like a pack of cards. There's rather shame, but we'll see it again, happen again. And Yeshuat Hashem Kervayim, the salvation of God happens in the blink of an eye. There's rather shame. And uh, that's the happening. So if Hashem wants things to happen, Mikre. So let's go back to Rivka. What happens is, yes, this girl happens. And it says, Vaish Mishta'eh, Eliezer's flipping. Couldn't believe it. This girl came and exactly what he asked for, she offers, she gives, she offers him some water. And here he is, a grown man, and she's putting in this jug of water. Imagine how heavy this jug of water into the well and pulling it up. And she's giving this grown man where he can go and get the water himself. She should have just given him this bucket, her bucket and said, you know, you lift it up. I can't, it's too much for me. So she goes and lifts up the water and then she feeds 10 camels. That's a lot of water for 10 camels. This, this young girl, amazing chesed, amazing kindness. And he says, this must be the one. And you know what? He gives her the jewelry before he even finds out who she is. He knew that he was answered. I knew it was so obvious that Hashem did a miracle for her. And Abraham Avinu made him promise, you get a girl from my family. And he didn't even know which family it was. He gave her the jewelry before he knew who she was. That's amazing. He, he, he could see the sign. It's, Hashem gave him such a clear sign. This is, it's an unbelievable story. How do you get a girl like that who comes out from nowhere and all of a sudden offers you some water. She gives you camel's water. And she runs and she jumps and she does just to do acts of kindness. That is wild. That is, that is a mikre. That's a happening. That's a happening. And then next topic I want to talk about is love. Because this is a, there's a beautiful Urchot Tzadikim. Urchot Tzadikim, one of the famous books of Musar. And he has a Sha'ar Ahava, the gate of love. And over here, this is not, <laughs> this is interesting. There's different kinds of love he talks about, which is very fascinating. So he says, uh, let's, let's, number one, he goes into different details. Number one, Ahavat Adam Banaf. Number one, the first on the list is, Love of a child, love of a child puts him first, and he says there's good love and there's bad love. He says the good love is a person loves his child to the point where they spoil their child. Terrible, terrible, terrible. The second kind of love, these are bad kinds of love, and then he talks about the good kinds of love. So the first kind of love is loving the child to the point where they spoil the child. Number two is love of money, and because a person loves money so much. They will not do business honestly. Oh, trick we see today. Unfortunately, so another case today with the, all these uh, terrible case uh, right now going on now with uh, coins, uh, bitcoins, right? So a terrible case. A guy loves money and tricks people and whatever it is. I don't know yet, but we'll see. We'll find out. 
So a person desires money, loves money, it's a love which is a bad kind of love. It's a bad love of money. The third kind is love of the other sex, and it can be a very bad kind of love, abusive kind of love, just using and abusing. That's number three. Number four, he says, love of one's relatives, one's parents, and one's brothers, and one's sisters, and one's friends. And because of his love, he'll cause fights. I love this one. I don't love this one. I love this one more than the other one. I'll help this one against this one. And it causes fights in the family. So the love sometimes, even of relatives, can be bad, a bad kind of love. Number six, he says, love of honor. People who love honor, I just want to have honor all day long. A person who loves honor will never do anything for the sake of God. They'll do it for the sake to get honor from other people. So therefore, their mitzvot will not be true mitzvot. A person gets charity. I want my name over here. I want my name over there. Which, by the way, is was not allowed at one time, but today it's allowed. Why? Because then people might might copy that person and say, you know, his name is up there. He gets charity. Why can't I do that same thing? So it's a kind of incentive to put one's name up, but it's not the ideal. The ideal is anonymous charity to give anonymously. Why? It's not for the sake of the board. And therefore, the person will do the bits for properly. And uh, so that's interesting. And there's another kind of love, he says. And he says, this is the worst kind of love, which, <laughs> which is, okay, we're ready for this one. It's a tough one. He says, that's love of pleasure, of luxuries, love of food and luxuries and uh, pleasures uh, like eating and drinking and all the other kinds of pleasures and vacations and wandering around uh, and wine and drinks and, and all the time eating and drinking and, and uh, whatever. And then the person will forget God. As it says in the Torah, it says, by Shman, Yeshurun, by Yivat, uh, the Jews will get fat. And they did when they came to Israel the first time. They got fat under their fig trees and almond trees and, and they forgot about God. And that's uh, this is you will eat and be satisfied, and then be careful not to forget Hashem. So love of pleasures is a dangerous kind of love because then a person just forgets, they just live in this world, they forget that they're resident aliens. We forget that we're resident aliens in this world, we'll enjoy this world to the point where we forget about our creator. That's, so that's why the Torah tells us you will eat and drink, and you will praise Hashem, you will thank Hashem. This way a person is using the physical pleasures for the purpose of serving Hashem. Because he's got to eat and drink to be healthy, serve Hashem, and get to exercise, serve Hashem. So therefore, now he goes into the good part of it. Okay, so that's the bad side of, of these kinds of love. So he says, a person who wants to keep away from this, the bad kinds of love needs a tremendous amount of wisdom. And so when a person loves their children, they should love them to the point where they lead them to the right path. That's true love. True love is guiding people to do good, guiding people on the right path to teach them as we see. What Hashem chose Abraham, we said, Hashem chose Abraham because Hashem, Abraham chose Hashem. But the truth is Hashem chose Abraham, it says, because he's going to teach his children after him, tzedakah umishpat, righteousness and justice. That's very important. So teach them the way of God. And that is the true way of loving children. Loving money, he says, how does a person love money? He should, number one, is to the point where he doesn't, he's not jealous of other people. So he doesn't have to steal. Does. So love honest labor. So the, so why? Because I don't have to steal. I don't have to trick. I don't have to get tzedakah, which is very important. This idea of not getting tzedakah, not taking uh, 
charity from others, being self-sufficient, self-supporting. Love money to the point where it says, you know what, I can be self-sufficient. I don't take from anyone. I don't have to trick anyone. And I can give. I can be a giver and not a taker. That's true love of money to the point where I'm a giver and not a taker, not to get proud, not to get uh, jealous of anyone, not to be greedy, but to give, to be a giver. Uh, to love the others, uh, the other sex is the way to have to get married, have children. And loving one's parents, he says, not to make trouble, but to appreciate what they did for us. They taught us the way of God and to uh, love our parents because of that. And uh, so that's love of the parents. And a person got to realize how much benefit they get from their relatives. As we see by Lot, Hashem, uh, Abraham, his relatives saved him. And so therefore our, our relatives help us when we're in need. So therefore a person should love their relatives and help their relatives. And that will bring peace in the world. A person loves their friends and their neighbors. And that brings peace into the world. Uh, so he goes into great detail over here, but it's very interesting. A person should have a look. This is Orpot Sadikim. He has a whole Sha'ar. Shar Ahava, this idea of Shar Ahava. So we have to appreciate all the gifts that Hashem gave us. That's really, that's really the message of Parasha. Sarah, appreciate the gifts that Hashem gave us, uh, the family we were born in, our mental and physical features that uh, our parents gave us, the schooling they gave us, God's gift to us. We have no control over the past. Its history is already, but we become in our own hands. We write our own script. We write the script of our future. What we become is our gift back to ourselves. So what we have, we have to thank our parents and whoever gave it to us and Hashem. And what we become is our script to our, ourselves, which is our gift back to ourselves. How we take care of our physical health, how we make a small change in our financial principles, how we make a small change in how we say blessings for our food, to show our children around us, we don't take the small things for granted. We have blessings for everything. So these are small things we can do too. That's what a person should think about. In this week's parasha, what should a person think about? The past is the past. Avraham buries Sarah, but now he thinks about the future. How do I build uh, the future? And the answer is through our children, through our posterity, and through our friends around us, and through promoting goodness in the world, Bezrat Hashem will all be successful. I wish you all a very happy uh, Shabbat, and many blessings from Yerushalayim, Yerav Kodesh, and please join me next You've week. just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.